Welcome to the JomoCast. I'm your host, Christina Crook. Join us as we sit down with leading founders, creators, and thought leaders to learn how they embrace the joy of missing out. These guests are choosing to digitally detox and usher balance into their busy lives. Let's dive right in. We talk about FOMO a lot around here. One of the conditions that makes fertile ground for FOMO is having an abundance of options, being spoiled for choice, as the expression goes. As we've all experienced, having a hundred choices can be far more of a curse than a blessing, especially when we don't want a hundred things. We just want one thing. The thing that will meet our needs. The thing that will bring us joy. What happens when that one thing is human connection? A friend. There are over 330 million people in the United States. And yet 75% of them report being dissatisfied with all the relationships they have. 25% don't have a single friend they identify with. We live in an age of unparalleled connectivity, and yet somehow we're just getting lonelier. And let's be clear, loneliness is no joke. Warm human connections are not a luxury. They're a requirement for life. Chronic loneliness shortens your life in real, tangible ways. You're at significantly higher risk of heart disease and stroke. You're more likely to develop dementia and other cognitive disabilities in old age. And your cognitive abilities in general, like decision-making, concentration, and ability to learn are depressed. If we're all getting lonelier, we're all getting sicker in some way. Jillian Richardson created The Joy List when she moved to New York City to connect herself to the events and gatherings around the city that would give her the best chance to forge meaningful human connections and find her people. Since then, she's made it her business to create facilitated human connection, intentional gatherings, carefully curated and designed to foster the interactions that form the basis for nurturing, affirming human bonds, friendship. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jillian Richardson in New York City. Thank you so much for being with me today. Founder of The Joylist, author of Unlonely Planet. So much to talk about. I want to start off the top with how would you describe a joyful gathering? I would say a joyful gathering is the thing that has an intentional container. It's a space where the creator put thought into how people are coming together. Because for me as a guest, I love being in a space and seeing like I'm greeted. People care that I'm there. They care about my experience. There are touch points along the way where I have permission to go a little bit deeper with people and have real and meaningful conversations or interactions. Uh, It's not just about conversation. It can be through movement as well. An example is Five Rhythms. It's a really beautiful dance space where there is no talking, but the music is guided so that you are going through five really different tempos of movement. And it's a really intentional container. And if anyone's doing anything to break it, if they're talking, if they're on substances, they're kicked out. And I know a lot of people feel self-conscious or like it's too pushy or it's too much to create rules for a space. Like Priya Parker talks about that in The Art of Gathering. 
a lot, but it's important. There's not a lot of places like that. I like that. Um, you created the joy list for a very personal reason. Can you share that story with us? Yeah. So I started the joy list because when I moved to New York City, I did all the things that people say you should do to make friends, which is like go to bars, go to comedy shows, take classes, just hang out with the same people, and then friendships form. Like that's what happens. And for me personally, bars are not a place that are ideal for me. Uh, just the kind of screaming over loud music essentially doesn't foster meaningful connection for me. I think if most people were honest about it, yeah. it doesn't for them either. When I, so I'm sure like there are some places, especially in New York City, but anywhere where it is a really beautiful setting and it is a great place to have an awesome conversation. Not the places where I was going, especially like a young person in your 20s in New York City. And then the comedy stuff, it was like we were bonding over an activity, but also as people who've been in comedy for a long time can probably say, comedy is often used as a way to not go deep and to kind of make jokes. And also sometimes it's a little mean, like making fun of ourselves, making fun of each other. Hmm. And that's all I did in college was also just comedy stuff. Did you do comedy or you attended comedy or both? I did it. I was the president of Boston University's improv group for three years. I'm going to find a YouTube clip <laughs> and put it in the show notes. It's, very, it's all very <laughs> embarrassing because we also did a lot of sketch stuff. And like, I'm not a good actor. I'm good at making things up on the spot. But like, if you want me to do an accent or impersonate someone, like it's going to be really bad, uh, which was so I was doing a lot of really bad acting in college. But yeah, so my friend group, it was not fulfilling and I didn't really know what was missing. But I just said like, because I just graduated from college when I moved to New York and I wanted to have a fresh start and create the kind of life that I wanted for myself. So I took a summer and was like, I'm just going to find my people, hmm. whatever it takes. I'm just going to find people I really love. So I went to music festivals by myself twice, did not like either experience. Uh, and then I went to this thing called Camp Grounded, which is a digital detox summer camp for adults. I've heard of it. Yes, I'm sure you must have so <laughs> many friends who've gone. Have you gone? I have never gone, but in California. Yeah. yeah. It was in California, also like North Carolina, Texas, right. New York, all over the place. Um, and that was the first time I'd really experienced a super intentional event container where even just the people who showed up, you knew that you had something in common with them because they're not going to be on substances that weekend. They're giving up their phone. You're not talking about work. You're not talking about age. There are no clocks. It's just total presence. Oh, and also you don't use your real name. You use a silly camp name. So my name is Lady. Uh, and just the staff showed up so much with just this playful, silly openness. And it gave everyone else permission to do the same. The first one I went to is three days long, which sounds so silly. It's short, but it totally changed my perception of what was possible with friendship. It was amazing. And then those people became my friends and they brought me to all these other amazing spaces in New York City. And then Trump got elected <laughs> in 2016, which is a weird turn to the story. It seems to come up in every interview with mm -hmm. an American. Totally. It's come up over and over again. <laughs> And so for me, my friend circle in New York, not Trump supporters, and I kept hearing people saying stuff like, I feel like I can't trust people anymore. People are bad. Like, the world is hopeless. But meanwhile, I, for the first time ever, had been surrounded by community and love and support. And I just wanted to let people know, like, hey, if you're feeling like you can't trust people and people suck, 
here are at least two places every day of the week in New York City where you can go and be in connection. Such an amazing thing to do. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. I've shared it with a couple of people, only the people that I know that have moved to New York City. Mm-hmm. And they've said that if they haven't gone yet, mm-hmm. just even knowing, and I'm sure you've yes. heard this before, even just knowing that these events exist yeah. and that that's an option is bringing them more joy and more totally. hope for, totally. a, for having community. So I think yeah. that's an incredible gift you're giving people. Thank you. Because I really think the people who host the best events are also the worst at marketing themselves. They, they don't want to be pushy or showy or anything. So I, I try and give them a boost. But I get that feedback a lot that, oh, wow, there's way more amazing gatherings in New York City than I realized. And how do you choose? Like, what, are the, what needs to be present for you to select for the joy list? I've gotten more specific recently. So first of all, it's anything with facilitated connection. So that means instead of just a movie or an art gallery or something where you can go and you receive a thing, And it's very easy to leave without really connecting with somebody else. It's something where there's someone there to help you connect. Hmm. So there's four categories, which I don't really mention in the newsletter. It's just what I've seen from what I've chosen over the years is facilitated conversation, movement, conscious sexuality, and healing. Those are the four. So like an example of healing would be Surge, which is a racial justice circle for white people to talk about race. Um, movement, five rhythms, like I talked about before, facilitated conversation, could be a women's circle. Do you have a favorite story that's come out of the joy list? Just this like an event that just made a really important connection Mm -hmm. between two people or a big group. I'd love to hear a story of. Well, for me, it's not as much like one super ridiculous thing as just like I was at an event last night and this woman came up or a friend kind of dragged this woman over to me. He was like, Jillian, like me, your name is Anne, something like that. Uh, like She just moved to New York. I told her about your newsletter. She had no idea who you were, but she's been going to a ton of events in your newsletter and it's helped her feel so much more comfortable in New York City. Uh, and so she just wants to say like, thank you. <laughs> or like people who form business partnerships. Uh, actually, one specific story I do really like is at my event, the Joyless Social, which is just facilitated exercises for people to make new friends. Uh, is this one woman, Devin, who I know, who the Joyless was one of the reasons that inspired her to move to New York City because she wasn't sure if she would like it. And then she went to a bunch of Joyless events and was like, oh, wait, New York's actually nicer than I thought. Uh, she was at the Joyless social, uh, overheard my friend Steve Dean saying that he wanted to do some sort of immersive experience that helped people figure out what their love language is and get a taste of that love language. And she had just done that exact thing in Boston before she moved. And so the two of them ended up creating a five-story, like they took over this amazing warehouse in Chelsea or in Soho as a five-story immersive experience designed to help you create your love languages on Valentine's Day weekend. That's amazing. It was wild. Yeah. So just those connections, like you never know what's going to happen when people are just like, oh, we're all here to really talk and connect with each other. I've been thinking a lot about gathering because I've been recently to some, I always feel like in the fall, all the gathering starts to happen, Mm -hmm. right? People are back, you know, school, if you're in school and all these things. And I went to a couple of events in the last little while. And I think that it's such a risky thing to gather people. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this acronym, there's, you know, FOMO and JOMO and there's FOGO, which is the fear of going out. Like the, (laughs) yeah, like the rise of social anxiety, right? Because people are wild cards Mm -hmm. and people that 
organize events as you do are signing up for a lot of wild cards. Like you don't know how people are going to be. You don't know if anyone's going to show up. And I think there's an incredible amount of courage just straight up organizing events. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, I don't really have a question there except to lead into... I was having another conversation um, with a woman who's a facilitator and she works in environmental activism, but she was talking about the whole person and about how she's helping teach people how to have courageous conversations. And I guess this is coming around to asking you a question Mm -hmm. around, do we as a culture need to be relearning how to have conversations, how to, how to gather? So maybe if you could speak to that a little bit, and then maybe that could lead into the End Lonely Planet book. Totally. I feel like I love this question. I actually don't get asked about just like courageous conversations very often. Um, and I love that point about how gathering people is a very courageous act, especially with social anxiety or like people who might not be fitting the traditional social mold. Because I feel like, so with friendship, there's this idea that, oh, I should just know how to make friends. It's ju- it just comes naturally. And the same thing with communication. Like, no, I should just know how to communicate. It comes naturally. Right. When really there's all of these trainings out there to communicate for a reason because it doesn't come naturally. And we've been very conditioned to not say anything that might be challenging or unpleasing. We just don't talk, period, because we're just texting, don't talk, right? Period. We spent most of yes. our days, right, not communicating verbally. Mm-hmm. It's so upsetting. And so, like, even for me, I'm a person who's very extroverted. I think a lot of people assume that I'm just very good at communicating. Because they're like, oh, she's like a cheerful, joyful, extroverted person. That's just how she rolls. But also at the same time, the shadow side of that is that I want to be pleasing and I want people to like me. And so my challenge is learning how to communicate my truth and my boundaries, even when it's not necessarily what the other person wants to hear. Uh, And so I've been very vocal recently about just how many conversations I have on a regular basis where... I'm saying something that is uncomfortable because people just don't have a lot of experience talking this way. It's like, I've been practicing with my family. I've been practicing with men who've harassed me. I've been practicing with friends where I've been the person who's totally in the wrong, with romantic partners, with setting boundaries. It's just like, it's not my job to learn these things, but I just want to be a more skillful human. That's incredible. I don't think a lot of people have that kind of drive. Mm -hmm. It's totally work. Yeah. So much there. I'm curious about what led, and I I would expect that, your work Mm -hmm. with The Joyless. Did you work with The Joyless precede the book? Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the book and and how the journey to the book. Yeah. It's so funny how the idea for the book started was that I was at this conference called Next Gen Summit, which is a conference for young entrepreneurs. Um, this guy, Eric Koster, gave a talk about what he calls creation events or a thing where a young person, but really anyone, wants to get to a new stage in their life. And that could be being known as an expert. It could be getting a really big new job that's really competitive. It could be getting into a really awesome graduate program, anything. And he's like, the thing that makes people stand out and the thing that makes people get chosen while also still being their authentic selves is doing something big. And that could be a podcast. It could be a conference. Or, and this was the thing that he was essentially selling, was writing a book. And most people have no idea how to write a book. The process is super overwhelming. And he was saying, like, he he used to run a program for college students where they would write a book in a semester. And then all of these students were getting these crazy jobs and these awesome opportunities. Because how many college students can say that they've written a book? And then he just took it and started making it available to anyone. 
Mm. And I never would have done it, except I knew people, especially this one woman, Haley Hoffman-Smith, who she wrote a book about why only 1% of women get venture capital funding and then started her own venture capital fund as a result of having this book, which is bananas. Uh, And so I trusted him and I signed up for this program. And so I wrote my book. It was a year, uh, which in book writing land, it's fast. fast. Yeah. I know people who've written them way faster. My judgment is that they're not quality books. Yeah, it totally took over my life for a year. But the reason I wrote it was one, I was looking at all the books about community building and most of them, and this is changing now very quickly, but most of them are written by white dudes in their 50s and 60s, like the big ones and the textbooks and the things that are referenced in college curriculums. And I was like, well, there's such a huge issue for this for people in their 20s. And there's not a single book about this written by someone in their 20s. And this is all I'm thinking about. Right. And you're the ones that are trying to form those hopefully lifelong or at least long lasting Mm -hmm. relationships, right? That's the pivotal, those are the pivotal years Mm -hmm. to do that. So what better person? Yeah. (laughs) So I did it. You did it. Very hard. I can attest to that being a hard task. Yeah. Since COVID hit, our lives are more mediated than ever. All our social activities, our work, even major life events like weddings have moved online. Finding balance amidst the digital demands has never been so important. That's why we're here. The JomoCast gives you tools to find more human connection and joy, to be intentional with your technology and step away from toxic hustle and comparison. And everything we do is 100% supported by you, our listeners. Every episode of the JomoCast takes at least 40 hours of loving labor to produce because we know this matters. The only reason it can happen is the support of our Patreon community. You can join for as little as $3 a month As part of our crew, you'll get exclusive Jomo swag, handcrafted snail mail, fully sanitized and in a lick-free envelope, and a shout-out on the show. But more importantly, you'll get direct access to a huge bank of resources for finding balance in a digital world. And you'll be part of the real, practical conversations happening in our community of curious, creative joy seekers. Join by visiting patreon.com forward slash JomoCast. Find the link in our show notes. I want to welcome Erin Peace, our newest patron. Thank you so much for your support. You use the word congregation. Yes. And I'd like for you to explore a little bit why you chose the word congregation. Yeah. And maybe I'll just say, I'm going to read the, the subtitle. Mm-hmm. Jillian's book is called Unlonely Planet, How Healthy Congregations Can Change the World. Yes. I had so many people tell me not to use that subtitle, but also so many people tell me to use it because when people hear the word congregation, they assume a lot of the times church, like a church congregation. Sure. When really the word congregation just means any group of people that are coming together. And... I'm talking in the book about how organized religion used to give us so many beautiful things. And of course, for so many people, it still does. But there's a large group of people, especially people in their 20s and 30s, who 
don't have a religion. We identify as none. And so how can we still have the sense of a really closely knit group of people that deeply care for each other? And so I love using the word congregation to describe anyone's community because I feel like it's giving it this, this weight and a commitment almost that a lot of people don't attribute to their friend groups. I love that idea. I love the idea of it get, having a weightiness to it mm-hmm. because, you know, I think the word community is still a really beautiful word and it hasn't lost all of its meaning. But of course, we talk about online community. Yes. Online communities and corporate communities. And I've actually changed my language around the online space to be contact. Yeah. Not connection. Mm -hmm. Not really community. Yeah. It's usually like, oh, I'm you know, you're making online connections. It's like, no, we're making contact. Like we're making contact that could become a a thing, like Mm -hmm. you and I messaging online and then emailing and then here we are in person. Um, But I love that there's a weightiness to congregation. I also love that you're calling people into more. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's of course what you're doing, but like really more. Like we are looking out for each other. We're not just Mm -hmm. gathering for fun times. Yeah. We're gathering to form connections that we can go to when we're in need. Yeah. That's the thing that I love about church is that when you go, like I could show up at a church twice and then suddenly I'm in the hospital. I could reach out to that church and say, hey, I need people to bring me food. I need support. I would love people to come and pray for me or just people in general to think about me and pray for me. And then without that support system, a lot of people feel too proud or too nervous to ask for the help that they really need because it's not assumed that that's kind of the duty or responsibility of a friend group. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's such an interesting point. I know you have, you talk about it in the book, but just the statistic about that the average American, and it's something I've actually uh, spoken about also in my work, um, that the average American, I think the stat is, you know, has only one close friend. Yeah. And even with that friend, there's a dissatisfaction. Yes. 75% of people in America are not satisfied with their friendship. So it's like, cool, we got one friend. Three quarters of us don't like that friend. If the world could look the way that you wanted it to look, what, yeah. it, what would it look like? Okay. Maybe get more specific. Your neighborhood or maybe New York City. Mm-hmm. I think one thing I've been I've been pondering a lot recently because I just finished reading Adrian Murray Brown's book, Emergent Strategy. And it's so beautiful. It's about essentially using a group of people and facilitating a group of people to create the change that you want to see. Because a lot of the times it's kind of the facilitator who's leading the group and the facilitator who kind of has their agenda that they're trying to get to. But it's like, okay, we're getting a community together. We're hearing what your concerns are. We're creating the agenda together. You're forming action groups and we're, we're doing the work. And there might be a lot of people listening who hear that and think, well, duh, like that's what the social justice world is. Like that's how it works. But I'm a little embarrassed to say, like I'm not involved in social justice work really. And so hearing this model of bringing people together for social change blew my mind. Hmm. And knowing how skillful people need to be to deal with groups for that extended of a period of time and to really create change and to deal with how long it really takes to listen to people's opinions that thoroughly. Mm. Uh, I would just love to see maybe not necessarily more of that because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going on in my neighborhood that I have no idea about, but perhaps that they're more popular and they're more resourced just because I know that's always a struggle for my friends who are in movement work is 
the lack of resources, the lack of understanding, the lack of popularity. So that's that's one thing. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. I'm curious for someone who's listening who is struggling a bit with isolation or loneliness, yeah. what would your what would you say to them as like a first step they could take? A few things. One is to let your social media community know if you have one. So the the format I like to use is just like, hey, Facebook world, like I'm looking for more friends in New York City. I love like insert whatever you love here. Like I love meditation and blues dancing. And I would love to meet people who are into those types of things. Do you have any recommendations for me? So like, hello, insert city. Yeah. Wherever you live. Mm -hmm. Here are the things I like. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to do this more with other people. Yeah. And I know it's one thing for me to just say that. And it sounds, it's a very simple thing, but it's not an easy thing. Right. Because it's very vulnerable. Yeah. And I ask for help on social media pretty much every day of my life. So I'm very used to just being like, hi, I need a thing. I'm assuming you would like to help me. Hello. Like, let's, will you help me, please? I think it's a good assumption to make. Yeah. Because people do want to help. Yeah. Especially it is the easiest thing for someone to be like, oh, uh, my friend Matt, he's dope. That this is me tagging Matt. Bye. That took 20 seconds. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you were going to lead to oh, one yes. more either. So, idea. so that's one very easy one. Uh, another is if you find events that you really like, like for example, in New York, there's this event called Medi Club that I loved. Uh, it's like meditation and dinner and group singing. But an issue is that it's it can be a little overwhelming of like walking in. It's just a lot of people. And so I started volunteering. So for every month for maybe like almost a year, I volunteered to sign people in. And it's volunteering at any event is an amazing way to one, get to know the organizers. And organizers are always the Uber connectors of their city. And then also get to know the volunteers because volunteers are people who are, they're volunteering because they want to meet other people and connect with other people. And then the last thing is if you have social anxiety, it's a really amazing way to just give you a purpose and a thing to do. And like, a, there's a sense of belonging that comes with volunteering. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. I am quite introverted. I used to throw raging house parties and I'd end up in the kitchen, like just stocking chips the whole time. Mm -hmm didn't really understand it for a long time that I was like, actually introverted. But it's true that you go and if you have something to do, mm -hmm. that does it takes like you're standing in the corner with nothing to do. And then of course you are going to grab it for your phone, mm -hmm. right? Because like, what else are you going to do? Yeah. So I, I love that idea. Okay. And then what's your third one? Another thing, this is, it sounds kind of silly, but Eventbrite has a event filter for community. Uh, if you're like, okay, I'm in Chicago. I want events for March 2nd. And the filter for the tag community. People who are posting their events on Eventbrite will use that tag. And it's it typically is pretty accurate of religious events, spiritual events. A lot of volunteering stuff is in there uh, and like charity events. So all really good ways to really connect with people versus if you're just looking at concerts or if you're looking at clubs or restaurants, people a lot of times are going with their group that they want to stick with and they might not be open to new connections. Right. I like that as well. That's really good. Um, of course, my podcast is the Jomo cast. It's all yes. about the joy of missing out. But Jomo means different things to different people. And I wondered if you could answer the question, what does Jomo mean to you? Okay. To me, Jomo means knowing that it's okay for me to recharge. I'm also actually a little bit introverted, which people would never expect. But just knowing that for me, it's quality time with people, not the quantity of people. 
So really my ideal night is like a dinner party with four people where we're going really deep. And so the past few days, I had a really socially packed schedule. And today I did not talk to anyone except for my roommate for like, I'm just gonna say just an hour. We, we, we could <laughs> talk for forever. Um, but that tonight there's a dance party happening that all my friends are going to and I'm staying home and I'm taking a bath and I'm wearing my dinosaur onesie. And that is what I am doing. And that I've been, I've trained myself to feel guilty about taking that time for myself, that I'm not going to the dance party. I'm going to be at home alone and that that's okay. And then actually, if I don't do that tomorrow, when I show up in the world, I'm not going to be as open to other people. I'm going to feel honestly a little resentful of other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that answer. Jillian, thanks so much for being with me today. You are so welcome. Thanks for listening to the JomoCast. Learn more about our guests in the show notes and by visiting JomoCast.com. And remember to subscribe to the JomoCast to be the first to hear our latest episodes. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're interested in helping us keep these raw, vulnerable conversations going, leave us a five-star review or share today's podcast with your friends. I hope the rest of your day brings you peace and that you embrace the joy of missing out.